Blog Talk Radio. Hear the song of creation The wind and the rhythm of the rain Oh, the thunder, it speaks of your power But there's something in the sound of the saints I've been washed in the roar of the ocean Found peace in the echoes of a cave And the trees of the field, they clap their hands But there's something in the sound of the saints From the lips of those you saved A redemption song will rise With a sound so full it cracks the sky Uh, if you look at your calendar, it's, it's not a Friday, 
Weakest moment I see you Shaking your head in disgrace I can read the disappointment Written all over your face Here come those whispers in my ear Saying who do you think you are Looks like you're on your own from here Yep, Grace could never you reach that far. Good. Maybe you wasn't plugged all the way in, brother, sister. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Lord. As I was saying, he's coming to take us home. And by his word, as he was leaving, and as the church was being born, and to the disciples that would become the apostles, the Lord was taken up in the clouds, into heaven. Well, he's going to come back the same way. He said he would. He said he's going to come, and he'll come from heaven, and he'll come back in the clouds. When he comes for his church, when he comes to take his bride home, he don't put his feet down on the earth, on the Mount Olive. He don't come riding with the horse in many in many thousands of saints. No. He comes in the cloud, and that we are going up to meet him in the cloud. This is the next event on God's calendar. This is the major event where he will intervene, and he will show this world and all the scoffers and mockers and all those foolish people that say there is no God, he's going to show that there is a God, and it will be a major wake-up call. And I would pray as we bring forth the truth and bring forth God's word and bring forth the gospel and the good news that you'd make a smart decision now and get right with your God and your creator. Because there is a creator. It doesn't matter what man says. It doesn't matter what kind of science 
and all the things they try to say in their foolish wisdom, there is a God, and he is the creator. He created each one of us in our, in our mother's womb by the word of God and the prophet Isaiah says, glory to his name. Well, brothers and sisters, in this time when we have so much technology and we have so much ways of finding out what's all going on in the world, the Lord wants you to focus on heaven and not this world. It is time to focus on heaven and not this world. Amen? So, shalom, brothers and sisters. When Brother Ellie called me and asked me to open the Lord's Hour and serve, I was wondering what I would share. Didn't take long. And I heard the Lord say, focus on not this world. Amen. Jesus told us in the book of Matthew to seek the kingdom of God, not this world or the things of this world. Amen. Let's look. Matthew 6. Matthew 6, verses 31 through 34. 31 through 34, Matthew 6. Therefore, do not worry or be anxious potentially uneasy, distracted. Oh, listen to that word for the Amplified. Distracted, saying, what are we going to eat? What are we going to drink? What are we going to wear? That sounds sort of familiar with all they focus on of a lot of the commercials and things in this world, from TV to the computer to magazines, everywhere. They're thinking on, they're focusing on these things because these are the things that can come up very worldly if you focus on them. For the pagan Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. But do not worry, for your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Verse 33. But first, and most importantly, seek, aim at, strive after his kingdom and his righteousness. His way of doing and being right, the attitude and the character of God. And all these things will be given to you also. In verse 34, so do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Focus on his kingdom and his heaven. Amen. The Lord wants us to know about his kingdom in heaven. Jesus spoke about it many times. Let's look. John 1, John 1, verse 51. John 1, verse 51. Then he said to him, I assure you, and most solemnly say to you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man, the bridge between heaven and earth. Jesus, the bridge between heaven and earth. He is the only way, the only bridge to heaven. Amen? John 3, verse 12. John 3. Verse 12, 
if I told you earthly things, that is, things that happen right here on earth, and you do not believe, how will you believe and trust me if I tell you heavenly things? This is the question the Lord is asking. Will you believe what I tell you of heavenly things? This is the question the Lord is asking us tonight. Amen? John 3, 13, the next verse. No one has gone up into heaven, but there is one who came down from heaven, the Son of Man himself, whose home is in heaven. The home of the Lord Jesus Christ is heaven. So we need to be focused on his home and our home too. Amen? John 3, verse 31. John 3, verse 31. He who comes from heaven above, above, above is above all others. He who, is all, excuse me, he who is of the earth is from the earth and speaks about things of the earth. His viewpoint and his experience are earthly. He who comes from heaven is above all. Be careful who you're listening to. If they focus too much on earthly things, then it is best not to listen to them. But listen to the Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen? John 6. John 6. John 6, verse 33. For the breath of God is he who comes down out of heaven and gives Life to the world. The life-giving bread from God comes from where? Where does it come from? Heaven. Amen. From heaven. John 6, 38. Do you see the kind of pattern I'm showing here? Do you see what Jesus focused on? He didn't focus on the things of this world. He focused on heaven. John 6, 38. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but to do the will of him who sent me. Jesus tells the Jews and us too that I have come down from heaven, from the Father to do his will. Now, we are to do the Father's will, too, telling us to focus on heaven and let go of this world, that this life in this world should be growing dimmer and dimmer to you, and the kingdom of God should be getting brighter and brighter to you each day. Amen? Let's go to John 12. John 12, verse 26. If anyone serves me, he must continue to faithfully follow me without hesitation, holding steadfastly to me. Oh, yes, we better hold on to Jesus, amen. Conforming to my example in living, and if need be, suffering. 
or perhaps dying because of the faith in me. And whatever I am, I mean, and wherever, excuse me, in wherever I am in heaven's glory, there will be my servant be also. Oh, glory to God. Amen. Isn't that exciting? If anyone serves me, the Father honor him. Be in heaven's glory. That is where I want to be. Amen. Glory to God. Hallelujah. John 17, verse 1. John 17, verse 1. The high priestly prayer. When Jesus had spoken these things, he raised his eyes to heaven in prayer and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son so that your son may glorify you. Here we see Jesus, our example, our forerunner for the faith. He is looking up. He is looking to heaven and seeking his father and our father. Amen? A warning here. What else comes from heaven? God have mercy. Romans 1, verse 18. Unbelief and its consequences. Romans 1, verse 18. For God does not overlook sin. Oh, you think you might hide, or you think you might be doing things in the dark. But God sees all, and he does not overlook sin. And the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, listen to this, who in their wicked in their wickedness suppress and stifle the truth. The wrath of God Revealed from heaven. Wow. Mm. That is a very humbling message to anyone who is living a lifestyle that is not godly. His word is truth. And he will not overlook sin. It will be judged. It will be judged. Let's move to Romans, excuse me, Romans 2, verse 7. Romans 2, verse 7. To those who by persistence in doing good seek unseen but certain heavenly glory, honor, immortality, he will give the gift of Eternal life. We are to seek heaven. Amen. Romans 8. Romans 8 verse 30. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. Declare free of the guilt of 
in those whom he is justified, he also glorified, raising them to a heavenly dignity. Amen? Hallelujah! You know, everybody's talking about we're going to get a glorified body. Well, by the word of God, it says that we have been glorified to a heavenly dignity. Glory to his wonderful name. When we have been born again and changed, we have been given a heavenly dignity, the word of God says. We are to have the attitude of heaven, brothers and sisters. We have been born again. And not of the flesh, but of the spirit. And the spirit is leading us to focus on heavenly things at such a time as this. Amen. Let's move to 1 Corinthians 15, 1 Corinthians 15, 44. It is sown a natural body, mortal, suited to the earth. Hmm. It is sown a natural body, mortal, and suited to the earth. It is raised, spiritual body, immortal, suited to heaven. As surely as there is a physical body, there is a spiritual body. You have to have a new body formed by God through the, his Holy Spirit. You have to have a spiritual body that is suited for heaven. Amen? This physical body... This flesh is not suited for heaven. It is suited for what? It is suited for earth, for the world. Wow. Very clear. You have this suit on of flesh. You have this suit on of, of sin in this, in, in this corrupted flesh. Uh-uh. No, can't get into heaven with that. No. You have to be given a new body. You have to be spiritually born again. You have to receive what Jesus has done. You have to receive that Jesus died and poured out his life and blood to wash away all your sin and that you be justified. And then in this life, as we're growing and maturing in Christ, we are being sanctified. And by what he has done for us, the guilt of sin has been taken away. We have been justified. And that as we are growing and, and as we have been born again and as we have the spirit in us, we are glorified, but we are coming to a place that we have to have a glorified body. We have to have the suit. We have to have the garment to get into the kingdom of heaven. And those garments are by the spirit and being born again. Amen. Hallelujah. Let's move to Ephesians 1, verse 3. Blessed and worthy of praise be the God and our Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly realms in Christ. Amen. Hallelujah. What does it say? Philippians 4.19, baby. My God will supply all my needs according to what? The riches that are in Christ Jesus. And where is our Lord? 
He's in heaven. Amen? Glory to God that we understand who we are in Christ and what God does for us. Spiritual blessings in heavenly realms in Christ. You want these blessings? Do not focus on the things of this world or what the people and the leaders of this world is doing. Focus more on our coming King Jesus. He is in total control. Amen? Not the devil, not the pope, not B.O. or the leaders of the world. Yeshua, King Jesus. Amen? Hallelujah. Glory to God in the highest. Go to Ephesians 2, verse 6. Ephesians 2, verse 6. And he raised us up together with him. Oh, wow. <laughs> when we believed, boom, and seated us with him in heavenly places because we are in Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, we're seated with him in heavenly places. Isn't that awesome to know? I mean, I, I, I said that it is an amen, such a powerful, overwhelming word. Where are we seated? Heavenly places with him. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Amen. Praise his wonderful name. Philippians 3, verse 14. Philippians 3, verse 14. I press on toward the goal to win the heavenly prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Amen? There is nothing about us to be looking down except when we bow our heads and reverence the Lord. We are to always be looking up. We're not supposed to be looking down at our phone all the time or looking down at an iPad or laptop or whatever it is. We are supposed to be looking up. And with all the signs in the, in, in the heavens and the signs in the earth, and the signs and the moon and the sun and the stars, and they're all coming in together in conjunction. <laughs> I tell you what, brothers and sisters, it is a time to be looking up, watching and praying, but looking up, the Lord said, look up, look up. What did he do all the time when he prayed? He looked up. It is getting our focus off this world and getting our focus on our new home. Heaven, where our Father is, where where our, where the Lord Jesus is. What do you do as a child? What you, when you was a child, what do you do? You would look up at your parents, wouldn't you? You'd look up to your mom or your dad. Well, where do you think those ideas came from? They came from the Lord. They came from the Father. Where to look up? We're supposed to be watching. And looking for her redemption draws nigh. Oh, amen. Hallelujah. Every day we should be looking up. Amen. Glory to his wonderful name. Like the Apostle Paul, we do, I mean, we are to have, we are to have our focus on heaven. Amen. We are to press on to win the heavenly prize. To be able to do this, 
where is your focus supposed to be? Our focus is supposed to be on Jesus in heaven, as the Lord has said. Hallelujah. His kingdom, the kingdom of God. All right, let's go to Philippians 3, verse 20. But we are different. Oh, we're different. Because our citizenship is in heaven. And from there we eagerly await the coming of the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, we are to be different. We are not supposed to what? Amen. We are not supposed to be like the world. Our citizenship has changed through the Lord Jesus. Amen. Our citizenship citizenship's in heaven. It's been transformed. I mean transferred. Hallelujah. It's been bought with a price. Hallelujah. They go to Colossians chapter one, verse five. Colossians chapter one, verse five. Because of the confident hope of experiencing that which is reserved and waiting for you in heaven, you previously heard of this hope in the message of truth, the gospel regarding salvation. Confident hope when you focus on heaven. Amen? You will not have confident hope if you're focused on this world. You only have confident hope is when you focus on heaven and the one who's coming from heaven. Amen? Colossians 1, 16. Colossians 1, 16. For by him all things were created in heaven and on the earth, things visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created and exist through him. That is, by his activity and for him. Hallelujah. Our creators from heaven, he is over all. Focus on him and on the things of heaven in these last days. Amen. First Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 10. First Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 10. And look, and to look forward and confidently wait for the coming of his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, personally rescue us from the coming wrath and draws us to himself, granting us all the privileges and rewards of the new life with him. Hallelujah. Isn't that an amazing promise? Isn't that amazing? That, that, those kind of words encourage you. Glory to God. And you know, you wouldn't even know it's in there unless you read the word of God. If you didn't study, 
your book sit on the table and, grew, uh, and dust grew all over it? This is the time to be in his word. This is the time to hear what the Lord is revealing in these days and to prepare us and to give, give us encouragement and, and to focus on him in the heavenlies. Amen. Yeshua, Jesus, wants us to focus on heaven and to be looking up because this is where he's coming from. He is coming for all of us who are looking for him and love his appearing. Amen? Hallelujah. Glory to the name of the Lord. Thessalonians, glory to the wonderful name. Oh, the blessed hope. Chapter 4, verses 15 through 18. Hallelujah. Glory to the Lord. Verse 15. For we say this to you by the Lord's own word, that we who are still alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will in no way proceed into his presence those believers who have fallen asleep in death. Verse 16. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven. And with a shout of command, with the voice of the archangel, and the blast of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ uh, Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain on the earth will simultaneously be caught up, raptured, together with them, the resurrected ones in the cloud to meet the Lord in the air. So we will always be with the Lord. Verse 18, therefore, comfort and encourage one another with these words concerning our reunion with believers who have died. Hallelujah. Amen. Glory to God. We are to focus on heaven for the Lord himself will descend from heaven just like when he left. And he will be in the cloud, and we will go up and meet him in the cloud, and we will forever be, I mean, we will be with him forever in heaven. Amen. That is the word of God. Hallelujah. Get a drink. Second Thessalonians. Second Thessalonians one seven. And I give relief to you who are so distressed. There you go. And to us as well, when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with all his mighty angels in a flame of fire. Woo! Hallelujah. Who's who is who is looking forward to seeing that? Glory to God. Hallelujah. Man, I would think the sky is going to be covered up. Where will Jesus be revealed? Where would Jesus be revealed from? Heaven. Amen. Theme, theme. The theme here. Maybe. I just you know, I just gave you the answer in the scripture before. Second Timothy 
Take it to me, 418. Amen. Second Timothy 4. Chapter, I mean, uh, cha- I mean, Second Timothy chapter 4, verse 18. The Lord will rescue me from every evil assault. Isn't that an awesome promise? Bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be all the glory forever, forever. Amen? Awesome promise and truth. Well, that's what Paul said. To him be all, to him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Glory to God. All right, let's go to James. James 117. James 117. Every good thing given and every perfect gift from above. It comes down from the Father of light, the creator and sustainer of the heavens, in whom there is no variation, no rising or setting, or shadow cast by his turning, for he is perfect and never changes. Glory to God. Every good thing and every perfect gift comes down from heaven. Amen. All right, let's go to First Peter. First Peter, one, verse four. First Peter, chapter one, verse four. Born anew into an inheritance which is imperishable, beyond the reach of change, and undefiled and unfading, reserved in heaven for you. Amen. Hallelujah. Reserved for us in heaven. Amen. Second Peter chapter three verse thirteen. But in accordance with the promises, we expectantly await new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Amen. Even a new heaven and an earth will be made. Hallelujah. Now, let's go to Revelation chapter 4. Revelation chapter 4. A scene in heaven. The whole chapter, baby. After this, verse 1, After this I looked, and behold, door standing open, in heaven. And the first voice which I heard, like a sound of a war trumpet, speaking with me, said, Come up here! And I will show you what must take place after these things. At once, I was in special communication with the Spirit. And behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. And he who sat there appeared like the line sparkle of a jasper stone in the fiery redness of a sardis stone. And encircling the throne, there was a rainbow that looked like the color of an emerald. Glory to God. 
24 other thrones surrounded the throne. And seated on these thrones were 24 elders dressed in white cloth, I mean clothing, with crowns of gold on their heads. The throne in the worship of the Creator. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumbling sounds and pearls of thunder. Seven lamps of fire were burning in front of the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. And in front of the throne there was something like a sea or large expanse of glass, like the clearest crystal. In the center and around the throne, four living creatures who were full of eyes in front and behind, seeing everything and knowing everything that is around them. First living creature was like a lion. The second creature was like a calf or ox. The third creature had a face of a man, and the fourth creature was like a flying eagle. And the four living creatures, each of them having six wings and full of eyes all over and within, underneath their wings, and day and night they never stop saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, the Omnipotent, the Ruler of all, who was, who is, and who is to come. The unchanging eternal God. Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanksgiving to him who sits on the throne, to him who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne, and they worship him who lives forever and ever, and they throw down their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive the glory and the honor and the power. For you created all things, and because of you, I mean, because your, I mean, because of your will, they exist and were created and brought into being. Amen. Hallelujah. Glory, glory, hallelujah. All praise, honor, and glory to the Lord Jesus. Leave you with this portion of scripture. Very clear contrast between worldly focus and heavenly focus. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. Therefore, If you've been raised with Christ to a new life, sharing in his resurrection from the dead, keep seeking the things that are above. Where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God, set your mind and keep focused habitually on the things above the heavenly things, not on the things that are on the earth, which have only temporal value. For you die to this world, and your new real life is hidden 
Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Amen. Praise God. Let the heavens open. Be that bottom, baby.
I was on my Facebook and y'all see those trending parts over there I don't know if everybody has those the same trending news but I getting harder and harder for uh, non-believers to want even want to come to know our Jesus with the things that are being said by people who really don't know Jesus. A minister from our great city of Fort Worth said that he wishes that all the gays and lesbians would just die. That's not what, that's not God, that is not sending God's mercy and love. True, it is a sin. I'm not even, not even, not even going to debate that I'm talking about us being being followers of Christ and to be Christ like and you're not gonna win by hate. All the way gonna uh, I mean gonna all the way gonna win them or I mean I mean show them the right way to come is by love. Blessed are the merciful for they shall obtain mercy. An old man was walking the beach early one morning, bending down to pick up starfish and throw them out into the ocean. A, teacher, a teenager came by and asked, Oh man, what are you doing? These, star, these starfish will die of hydra, dehydration once the sun comes up high, he said. I'm throwing them back into the ocean so they will live. The young man spout so sarcastically. The beach goes on for miles, and there are millions of starfish. What is it? What? What does it matter what you do? The old man looked at the starfish in his hand, and he flipped it safely into the waves. It matters to this one, he said. What do you do for others makes a difference. Your act of mercy matters. Are you a person of mercy? In the brief time that we have for such an important subject, I'd like to answer four questions. First, how does a heart become merciful, or where does, a, where does mercy come from? Second, what is mercy, or what is, merci, what is a merciful person like? Third, should, mercy, should a merciful person always show mercy? Or can a Christian be a prosecuting attorney? Fourth, why will only merciful, merciful people find mercy from God in the judgment day? 
if salvation is by grace through faith. You can see that these are very practical and immensely important questions. The answer to the first question, let's look at the immediate context. How does a heart become merciful? So the answer to the first question is that mercy comes from the heart that is first felt in a spiritual bankruptcy, has to come to grief over its sin, and has learned to wait meekly for the, the timing of the Lord and to cry out in hunger for the work of his mercy to satisfy us with the righteousness we need. The mercy that God blesses blesses itself is the blessing of God. It grows up like a broken heart and a meek spirit and a soul that hungers and thirsts for God to be merciful. Mercy comes from mercy. Our mercy to each other comes from God's mercy to us. The key to becoming a merciful person is to become a broken person. You get the power to show mercy from the real feeling in your heart that you owe everything that you are to the sheer divine mercy. Therefore, if we want to become merciful people, it is imperative that we a view of God and ourselves that helps us to say that we, that all our hearts, that every joy and virtue and distress of our lives is owing to the free and undeserving mercy of God. The second question is, what is mercy? Or what is a merciful person like? Sometimes it helps getting something clear if we can see it, it over against the opposite. So I've tried to find out the, here, mercy contracts it with opposite. Matthew and Luke give some very helpful illustrations. First, let's first look at Matthew 9, Matthew 9, 10 through 13. And as he sat at the table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and sat down with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, he said to the disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, those who are well need no need need no have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, but those who are sick, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I come not to call the righteous, but sinners. Mercy contracts, contrasted in this illustration, the opposite of mercy is sacrifice. Verse 13, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. This is a quote from Hosea 6.6, 6, where God accuses the people that their love is like the dew on the grass. It is there for a brief morning hour, and then it is gone, and all that is left is an empty form of burnt offering. The point is that God wants his people to be alive in their hearts. He wants them to have feelings of affection towards him 
and mercy towards each other. He does not want a people to do their to do their religious duties in a merely formal way. Here in Matthew nine he says he saw sinners as sick and miserable people in need of a physician. Even though they were the rich money movers of the day, the tax collectors, they were sick. He he had medicine. But all the Pharisees saw was the was a ceremonial problem was becoming contaminated by eating with sinners. Their life seemed to be a mechanical implementation of rules. Something huge was at stake here, but they could not see it or feel it. They were inflamed by the trivial issues of ceremonial cleanness with eternals was about to be healed. The opposite of mercy is bondage to religious trivial. Mercy contrasted to straightening out gnats. Let's look at another example of the same thing in Matthew 23, 23 and 24. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for the tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. These you also have done without neglecting the other. You blind guides, straining out the gnat and swallowing a camel. What is the opposite of mercy in these in the in these stinging words of the Lord? The opposite of mercy is a is the straining out of gnats. The opposite of mercy is when your religious impulses or exhaust after you have decided whether to tie your gross income or your net income or your birthday gift. The lesson we we learn from these words of Jesus when he says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, and, his, <clears throat> and when he says, you strain out a net and swallow a camel, is a great obstacle and enemy, enemy to mercy is a preoccupation with trivial of life. The bondage of triviality is a curse of the unmerciful. When Jesus says, don't neglect the weightier matters of the law, he means beware of doing, of going through the day of doing only trivial things, thinking of only trivial thoughts, feeling only trivial feelings. The Lord wants us to pinch ourselves again and again, lest we be found swooning in the front of the television, making no plans for the weighty matters of mercy. Blessed are the merciful. Therefore, if you want to be blessed, you must make war against the bondage of religious and secular trifle and devote your life to the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, is no trifle. If it is one of the weightiest matter of all life. Mercy in the parable of the Good Samaritan is an, another illustration of opposite of mercy is found in the parable of the Good Samaritan. Luke 
10, 25 through 37. And behold, a lawyer stood up and put into the chest, saying, Teacher, what shall we do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read? And he answered, You shall love your Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, have you answered, you have answered right, do, do this and you will live. The man asked Jesus how a person should act who may expect to find mercy at the judgment day and inherit eternal life. And Jesus answered the person to whom will receive the mercy of eternal life are those who have, who have loved God with all their hearts and their neighbors as themselves. In other words, blessed are those who have mercy now now to their neighbor, for they shall receive the mercy of eternal life in the future. So the story is very relevant in our text. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. This will be more obvious when we look at the parable that follows. The lawyer said, Who is my neighbor? And Jesus answered with the parable of the Good Samaritan in verse 33 and 37. Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. And so he probably was a Jew and thus hated by the Samaritans. And he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a priest was going down the road, and then when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, isn't that terrible? Yeah. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place that he saw, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was and he saw him and he and he had compassion and went to him and bound him up bound up his wounds pouring all over pouring on oil and wine when he sat up on his bed on up on his beast and brought him to the inn care of him and the next day he took him out to denarii and gave him to the innkeeper saying take care of him when whatever more you you spend. I will pay you when I come back. Which of the three do you think proved neighbor neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? The lawyer? The lawyer said, the one who showed mercy to him. And Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. Four dimensions of mercy in this parable. We have a photograph of mercy and its opposite. First, we see distress. A Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and he saw him. Second, we, it responds eternally with the heart of compassion or pity towards a person of distress. When we saw him, he had compassion on him. Third, 
its response eternal with practice, effort, in belief, the distress. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring oil and wine, when he sat on his feet and brought him into the inn and took care of him. And the mention of mercy is that the, it happened even when the person in distress by, his, by religion and race an enemy. But, but a Samaritan, a half-breed Jew, with a warped religious tradition, stopped to help the Jew who hated him. The eye of, for distress, a heart of pity, an effort to help, in spite of the enemy, it, that's mercy. It's remarkable that this parable makes the same point in Matthew nine thirteen that Jesus said, Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Here he says, go and show mercy like the Samaritan, not like the priest and the Levite. The priest and the Levite stand down for the same thing in this parable in the world. And the word sacrifice stands for it in Matthew nine thirteen. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> Namely, empty religious formalism. Jesus made up this story. Why, why did he choose an, to illustrate the opposite of mercy with a priest and a Levite, with a pastor and a minister of music? It is not, it is not a warning to me and Dean and all of us to hear too far many people who are caught up in the mechanics of religious activity with no eyes to see distress to hear, to respond with compassion, and no effort to bring relief to the gospel. Mercy is one of the weightier matters of life. So, to answer our second question, what is mercy, we should see that mercy is one of the weightier matters of life. It is also in danger of being neglected because of our preoccupation with trifles. Whether secular trifles like watching too much TV or consuming yourself with some hobby or religious. What is religious trifle? A religious trifle is a religious activity from preaching to praying, from teaching to tithing. Any religious activity at all that does not cultivate a heart that is taken up with the weightier matters of life, like mercy. The proof of the of the religious pudding is in the power to see distress. Feel pity, perform relief, and all that events towards the enemy. The third question it was asked, should, mercy, should a merciful person always show mercy? Or can a Christian be a prosecuting attorney? Real life is very complex for a Christian for Christian people who seriously want to live out their faith in a simple world. What would you, what would you answer these, uh, these questions? Can a Christian be constantly merciful and yet be a parent who spanks a child for disobedience instead of turning the other cheek to the child's adolescent uh, insolence? As a 
Yes. Can a Christian can a Christian be constantly merciful and yet be an employer who pays good wages for excellent work but dismisses irresponsible people who do do shoddy work? Yes. Can a Christian be constantly merciful and yet be a legislator who enacts laws that give stiff penalties for drunk driving and child abuse? Yes. Can a Christian be constantly merciful and yet be a a counsel or a deacon who follows school mandates for church discipline and excommunication of a member for forsaken public sin? For each of these questions, oh, yes. For each of these four questions, corresponds to a sphere of life, the sphere of the family, the sphere of business, and the sphere of economics, and the sphere of government and law enforcement, and the sphere of the church. And my answer to all the questions, all the questions is that God's will, that as long as it be, <coughs> excuse me, my question is that it is God's will that as long as the age test last there will be a mingling of mercy and justice in all the spheres a mingling of both justice and mercy in this age god's will is that sometimes we recompense people with that what they deserve whether punishment or reward call that justice and god's will is that sometimes we recompense people with with better than what they deserve call that mercy in upholding the claims of justice, we bear witness to the God is a just, a God of justice. And in showing mercy, we bear witness to the truth that God is a God of mercy. A biblical parent is usually, will usually follow the wisdom that sparing the rod spoils a child. But there are will be times when a child, when a child's fault will be forgiven without punishment to teach the meaning of mercy and woe to the child to and woo the child to Christ. A biblical judge will usually be scrupulously just by impartially sentencing criminals according to the the grievance of their crime. But there will be times when he will clemency for some greater good. A biblical employee Employer will usually pay a fair wage and insist on good workmanship, but there will be times when he will pay more than a person person's work deserves and go an extra mile with a sick or an aging or distressed or inequality trained person. And a biblical deacon will call public sin in the church on account and exercise discipline, even exclusion from the fellowship. But we'll also remember the parable of the wheat and the tares and that section of the church till the end of the age. How can we know when to show one or the other? If we ask, how shall we know when to do justice and how to show mercy? I answer, by getting as close to Jesus as possible. I know of 
I know of no hard and fast rule in Scripture to that that dictate for every situation, and I don't think this is an accident. The aim of Scripture is to produce a certain kind of person, not provide an exhaustive list of rules for every situation. The B attitude says, blessed are the merciful, not blessed are those who know exactly when and how to show mercy in all circumstances. We must be merciful people even when we act with when we act with severity in the situations of justice justice. This is we must be poor in spirit, sorrowful for our own sin, meekly free from defensiveness and self exhaustion exalting nation, hungering and thirsting for all that is right and to be done. Perceptive of the person's distress and misery, feeling pity for his pain, and making every effort to see greatness, greatest good done for the greatest number. So, the answer to the third question: Should should a merciful person always show mercy? The quali- it is a qualified no. You will often support. You will often support this, the, the claims of justice and recompense of a person the way he deserves in order to bear witness of the truth of God's justice and, and to accomplish the greater good for the greater number of people. But I say it is, it is a qualified no, but because if you are a merciful person, then even the way you spank a child or persecuted criminal our dismissive employee will be different. The mercy will show. The, the parent may cry. The attorney may visit the criminal and his family. The employer may pay a remedial training. The heart of mercy will show. The fourth and final question we, we asked was salvation by grace through faith. Why only will merciful people find mercy from God? Judgment Day, if salvation is by grace through faith. The text in Matthew 5, 7 says, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Mercy. In other words, in the age to come, when we meet God face to face, the people who will receive mercy from him are people who have been merciful. In, in, this, a, in this, a salvation by works, is this salvation by works? Do we earn his mercy by our mercy? Earn mercy would be a contradiction in terms. If mercy is earned, it is not mercy. It's a wage. Be assured, if we get anything good at the judgment, it will be mercy, 100% mercy. When God asks for a record of your mercy, at the judgment seat, judgment day, he will not be asking for a punch time card. You won't say, here it is, eight hours of mercy. Now, here's my wage. Where's my wage? Instead, God will be asking you for your, for your medical charts. He will hand them to him in all the lowliness and meekness, and there will read, read the evidence of how you trusted him as your divine 
physician and how the medicine of his word and the therapy of his spirit took effect in your life because you relied on them to heal you of your unmerciful disposition. And when he sees the evidence of your faith in your his healing, he will complete your healing and welcome you into the kingdom forever. Therefore, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. This is Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. Straight so far away We cut down people in your name But the sword was never ours to swing Jesus, friend of sinners The truth becomes so hard to see The world is on their way to you But they're tripping over me Always looking around but never looking up I'm so double-minded A plank-eyed saint with dirty hands And a heart divided Oh, Jesus, friend of sinners Open our eyes to the world At the end of our pointing fingers Let our hearts be Led by mercy, help us reach with open hearts and open doors. Oh, Jesus, friend of sinners, break our hearts for what breaks yours.
But it ends with a bride and groom And a wedding by a glassy sea Oh, death, where is your sting? Cause I'll be there
So love and prayers. Uh, each of you have a wonderful night. And uh, keep looking up. Keep looking to Jesus. He is our only hope. He's our blessed hope. And that we would focus on the kingdom of heaven, things of the Lord. Amen. Well, bless each one of you. And uh, shalom to each one of you. And shalom. Good night. That was um, that was a lot. That was a lot of that was a lot of struggle. See, I I, I would think that the uh, holy was a message, and I was to them, you know, more than I But you know, made it through. Or, uh, I know what I have.